If you're hanging out with us here today, chances are very good that you've been watching and loving sports for a long time. Now, those of us who have indeed been watching sports for a long time developed our rooting interest early in life. So if you were born a Chicago Bulls fan like me, you're probably still a Chicago Bulls fan. Now, it takes a long time to grow out of your sports bias. For instance, back in the 90s, we Bulls fans did not dig Patrick Ewing simply because he was our rival. It wasn't until years later that I began to appreciate Ewing's ability to play center like he was playing center, that the dude was a rock. To that end, there are a goodly number of fans who did not appreciate Kobe Bryant during his heyday. Now, admittedly, there were off-court issues to consider, but even taking those out of the equation, Kobe's Lakers had plenty of rivals. Thus, there were plenty of anti-Kobeists out there. Now, since Bryant passed away, a good percentage of those anti-Kobeists have gotten on the Mamba bandwagon, recognizing his impact on the game, as well as an entire generation of basketball players and fans and collectors. Now, more than ever, Kobe Bryant is one of the sports figures who makes us most want to collect this. And we don't stop. Welcome to Collect This, powered by CSG, a podcast for collectors by collectors. Here's your host, Alan Goldshire. Brom Walker, Vice President and Head of Streetwear and Modern Collectibles at Sotheby's. The GOAT conversation is always a thing, especially amongst NBA nerds, right? Um, I'm a Chicago guy. I'm an MJ guy. Who is your GOAT? Does Kobe make that list? Does LeBron make that list? Does Bill Russell make that list? What do you got? Well, I, I think, you know, look, Michael Jordan, Kobe, you know, names like that, they're all GOATs. Um, LeBron, uh, you know, for me, when I think about, like, the GOAT, I mean, I, I gotta be honest. I think about Michael Jordan. Um, you know, I think about that's for basketball, but you know, for, for football, I obviously think about Tom Brady. Um, but you know, the, the truth is like, you know, so many of these guys are just so good. And, and you know, that list, that goat list kind of gross. And that goat list is super important to, um, to collectors. And to that end, I want to give a little message to collectors here, a little uh, special deal for you Collect This listeners. Uh, and studies, Brom, by the way, have shown that Collect This listeners and guests are exceedingly good-looking uh, as a whole. <laughs> Head over to csgcards.com slash join, select premium, and use the promo code COLLECTTHIS. And you can join CSG at the premium level for just $99, $50 off the regular price. Not only that, but you'll get a $150 same-as-cash credit, so the price of membership pays for itself. But wait, there's more. You'll get access to exclusive benefits like discounts on select add-on services, 24-7 online submission tracking, and 10% off at the CCG store. Once again, csgcards.com slash join select premium and use the promo code collect this get your grade on with csg now brom um we're kind of focusing a little bit on kobe goats in general but i pointed on the intro that kobe had a little bit of a bumpy ride uh at a certain point in his career um but then he kind of managed to attract people back got people back on the kobe bandwagon and after he, he tragically passed away, uh, all of a sudden he became more of an entity amongst collectors. From your perspective, from where you're sitting at Sotheby's and, and you're super plugged in to what memorabilia collectors and card collectors dig, 
When was the transition? When was the Kobe transition happen? And how did it impact his value in at, at the auction level and at the street level? You know, I think there are a lot of things that, that Kobe did that brought people kind of into his world, right? Um, if you think about his book, you know, The Mob Mentality, How I Play, mm-hmm. you know, something like that, by the way, which is a very easy read, right? You open it up, um, you know, th- there's pictures. It's it's just like you can get through that book really quickly. Um, you know, that really brings you into his world and into his mindset and how he plays the game and how he kind of his competitive outlook on life. Um, and I think a lot of people identify with who he was and what he stood for. Um, sort of even outside of the game of basketball, right? Like he really stood for just being the best version of yourself. Right. And so if he hurt his ankle, you know, he was like, okay, how can I get better? Okay. I'm going to take tap dancing up. You know, he literally did that. He was like, this is how I'm going to improve my ankle strength. I'm going to start doing tap dancing. And that's what he would do. Um, and so, you know, I think he's an inspiration to business leaders. You know what I mean? To people beyond the sport of basketball. Um, and I think in many ways, like him bringing people into his mentality over a period of time, and it, it's taken on a life of its own right through his book and all of that um, has sort of created this admiration, this deep admiration within the collecting community, within the basketball space. But, you know, just broadly throughout kind of the world. OK, he was an Oscar winner, right? He did all kinds of off court stuff after he retired. Do you think that had an impact on his value in the collecting space? Um, I think that, yeah, I do. I mean, I think that like, you know, the way that he, you know, had this sort of pop culture appeal, right. He might appear on Jimmy Kimmel. He might do all this stuff that, that sort of brought people into to him and to his mentality and to his competitiveness. I think that that brings in more collectors, right? If you, if you do this stuff, if you appear in different places, people get more familiar with you. Um, and you know, I think in part, all of that stuff is what kind of made him like so critical and crucial to the, to the city of LA. You know, we, we have this Kobe Bryant Jersey now at Sotheby's, which we've estimated at five to $7 million. Mm. Um, And the reason why that Jersey is so valuable is because of its pop culture appeal. Like if you, if you drive down the street in LA, there is a decent chance that you're going to see this Kobe jersey, like a mural of it, a painting of it, <laughs> like it's just everywhere because he inspired so many people. And, you know, that's kind of how we looked at it. Um, have you seen tangible proof? Have you seen the numbers uh, do a little uh, hockey sticking on Kobe's memorabilia at, at Sotheby's? Well, you know, I, what I would say is in terms of really high profile Kobe items, this is kind of the first one that we've handled, right? Where we're, we're crossing the Rubicon, you know, over, you know, call it seven figures, right? You know, five mm-hmm. to $7 million Kobe item is a really serious item. Mm-hmm. What I would say in general is that in the collecting market, you know, in terms of precedent, they're actually, you know, Kobe is really in rarefied air in the sense of, you know, you have a $3.7 million transaction on a record, right? At Golden Auctions uh, for Kobe's rookie jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a $2.7 million transaction on record with SCP. And so we've seen, right? And those were rookie jerseys, but we've seen that there are collectors in, in the, you know, million dollar plus range, which they're, you know, 
in terms of the whole scope of sports memorabilia, they're not that many, you know, million dollar items plus. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Kobe's already put up two of those plus any cards um, is kind of remarkable. We talked about this uh, before we got on the air. Uh, goats, uh, not, not just like our, our goats, like our go to goats, uh, but goats in the hobby. Um, the hobby is a volatile world, right? Um, probably more so than ever. But goats seem like a pretty safe investment in the card world, definitely. Uh, is that something you've seen in the auction world? Like, are people more prone to to go ahead and throw big money at a Kobe more so than I don't know, just a, pulling a name out of the air, Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, look, I think that there's always a lot of speculation on athletes that are still playing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might be able to, you know, a John Morant jersey might really set you back right now. Right. Because right. there's speculation about where his career is going to go. And so people are kind of speculating on that in advance. Right. And so, you know, on one hand, right, if he wins a bunch of MVPs and a couple championships or a few of them, you know, that that investment may be, you know, realized. Um, but of course, you know, if he if he has, God forbid, a, a, an accident, you know, that that, uh, you know, that value can go down, obviously. Um and so when you look at, at goats, you know, players like Michael Jordan, players like LeBron James, which, by the way, we also have a three to five million dollar LeBron right now at Sotheby's. Mm. Um, you know, as you look at athletes like Michael, LeBron, Kobe, like, you know, those athletes have really um, set their names in the history books already. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, LeBron is still out there accomplishing things, right? He's just about to break the all time scoring record. Um, but. You know, those, yes, typically, you know, there, there's a level of of comfort of, you know, I don't want to say blue chipness, but like, you know, they are who they are and their reputation has been established. Yeah, I think that's really a, a well, uh, well put in a great analogy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, LeBron, blue chip, Kobe, blue chip, MJ, Brady, blue chip, blue chip. Um, and the speculation aspect. Certainly the card world has kind of taken a little bit of a back seat. Um, Jaw's a great example. There were a lot of Jaw cards uh, maybe in his second year when, that were going for 100,000, 150,000, 200,000, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you know, people look at the, the Zion Williamson situation where poor guy just can't stay on the court. And obviously he oozes talent and he's a great person, the guy you want on your team, guy you want in your collection. But there was a lot of money spent on Zion Williamson cards. Uh, and then the injury started happening, and all of a sudden, people aren't too psyched about having spent all that money on Zion William cards. Are you seeing um, less interest in speculating on items at Sotheby's? Um, you know, look, I think there there's always going to be speculation, right? And, you know, it, it translates across all kinds of sports. Um, but what I would say is, like, you know, yeah, we do notice that there's speculation, and there's there's always, I think, going to be that. And I think you'll also always sort of see, you know, that that certain athletes um, sort like like Patrick Mahomes, right, who kind of is this powerful media presence, like people, Mm -hmm. people definitely jump into athletes like that. Um, But, you know, I would say in general, we've been focused kind of on the goats. So we've, we've had a little bit less of that. Rob, let's talk about you for a second. Uh, I don't know about you. But uh, people think I have a pretty cool job. I think you have a pretty cool job. I think I have a pretty cool job. And when you have a pretty cool job, people also want to get that pretty cool job. I'm sure you are asked, as am I, time and again, how did you get to this point? How did you end up at 
arguably the the dopest uh, auction house in the world. Talk, take me on your collecting journey. Take me on the path that brought you here. So basically, in terms of card sports memorabilia, I definitely was. You know, I would go to Alex's MVP uh, in New York growing up. I don't know if you're familiar with that 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 shop, uh, that hobby shop, but I'd go there every uh, every weekend with my dad. We'd we'd break packs, um, and you know. That was something that was a big part of my life growing up was collecting baseball cards. Um, you know, as I get old, as I got older, now I collect sports memorabilia. So I, I buy game worn stuff. I love it. Um, you know, I think uh, I, I think that for me, basically, what happened is I had a lot of different passions. Right, one of them was sports memorabilia, another was sneakers, um, and they sort of all converged when I got to Sotheby's. Um, but basically, I, I you know I started out believe it or not, you know, in, in strategy consulting. And I was just working for banks. I absolutely was miserable. I hated it. Um, I then, you know, found this job, which like basically was, was a, an agency that focused on partnerships, how companies could work together. Um, and in that role, I, I kind of brokered this partnership between American Express Asia and Sotheby's New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, I then took a little hiatus. I got my MBA. Um, I actually applied to my MBA with a custom pair of Air Force Ones um, <laughs> and uh, that I made like for I got it at NYU Stern. And so I made it for them. Um, and then when I graduated, I, I joined Sotheby's as director of e-commerce development, which was really this role trying to think about how we could bring uh, new audiences to Sotheby's, younger audiences to Sotheby's. Um, and of course, you know, what's a way you could do that? Like sneakers. Right. Uh, and so I, I sort of started our, our sneaker business um, and that, that sort of collectible sneakers. You know, we, we sold 200 pairs of Louis Vuitton Nikes last year for twenty five million dollars, just to give you a kind of a, a, a size or scope of that business. Wow. Um, and, you know, obviously game worn sneakers is a big thing. Right. So I started to sort of go down that road, you know, expanded into jerseys. Right. Um, we, we have sold cards. Um, Although we don't do a ton of card business, but we have sold them before. Um, And, you know, as we have, you know, at this point, sports memorabilia is actually a huge growth area for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, throughout this year, right, you're seeing right now we have this really big high profile Kobe item. We also have LeBron's Game 7 2013 NBA Finals jersey at Sotheby's right now. Um, but we also have a multi-lot auction of about 50 lots. Um, and we have everyone from Michael Jordan to Connor McDavid to John Moran. Um, and so, you know, that's sort of like a, the, the path that I took. And what I really did when I got to Sotheby's is I sort of married all of my interests together, right? Sports memorabilia, sneakers, all of these things that I'd cared about since I was a kid and kind of brought them into this world. It sounds like an organic trip, and that's oftentimes how these things work out. You know, you you become an expert on the things you love, and eventually someone needs that expertise. Um, that whole answer brought up a whole bunch of other questions. Uh, you said you were trying to change uh, the demographics at Sotheby's. Have you noticed a change over the last like three, four, five years? Yeah, what I would say is, you know, look, on average, our audiences for collectibles are much younger. We're talking 20 to 40, mm-hmm. um, you know, definitely cross category. So people who are buying contemporary art, old master paintings, watches, all that stuff, they also bid in these sales. Um, but I actually think that that is really a great thing because what happens is, is if you have young collecting audiences, right, as they continue to grow in their career, as they become successful, the market continues to grow. 
Um, and so when you have a young audience that's very active, it's actually a really positive thing for the collecting community because what it means is is that, you know, as you know, somebody who's buying a John Moran jersey right now for thirty thousand dollars, if they make, you know, if their career gets bigger, if they, you know, when they're fifty-five or sixty, they may be the person taking down a Michael Jordan jersey for ten million dollars. Right. And so, you know, that that sort of younger audience, both in sneakers and in sports memorabilia, is kind of a, a big thing that we look at at Sotheby's. Now, you started um, in your position at Sotheby's, if I'm not mistaken, kind of around pandemic time. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I started in July of 2019 um, or June, maybe, uh, you know, obviously in March, the whole company shut down right. um, and, you know, that right after you know probably in may of 2020 is when i started doing collectibles and so mm -hmm. obviously the timing of when i started doing that business is exactly the same timing that collectibles took off as a category now did you notice um from when you your initial position to when you went over to collectibles uh, i'm assuming that since this is a passion of yours you were eyeballing what was happening in that space was there because you know in the card space there was a, a a massive hockey stick massive hockey stick was that going on at the auction level too um well we were at that time we weren't really selling cards right but we were you know what what i would say is um in in sneakers it definitely was happening mm -hmm. um and you know look i think that the tr the truth is about sneakers and i think the same is true about cards but at least for that you know, people are always like, oh, my God, Sotheby's sell sneakers. That's so weird. That's crazy. Um, the reality is, is that market existed far before we got there and already had this very engaged, passionate, quite sizable group of people that were collecting these objects. Right. And they were they weren't just buying them for future resale. Of course, some people were. But for the most part, like people have like little museums in their house where they have sneakers. Um, and so. You know, we just started to sort of get into that space. And I think as we did, the market continued to grow um, because we brought in new people. Um, and so, you know, what I would say is like, yeah, I mean, there was kind of this hockey stick in collectibles um, during the pandemic. Um, but we think it's here to stay. This is kind of a personal thing. Um, the cards versus memorabilia discussion uh, amongst collectors. Cards are amazing. Cards are beautiful. I make a living with an amazing card company. But if I had a spare, you know, $500,000 to spend, I am going to get myself some game-worn stuff, right? Uh, I want a, a beautiful Walter Payton jersey uh, displayed on my wall, uh, more so than a Walter Payton card. Sorry for being blasphemous about that one. Now, it sounds like you, too, are, are on that boat. What is your favorite asset class other than sneakers in terms of game warrants? And, and what kind of trends have you seen in that area? I mean, I think that, look, by the way, not everything can be photo matched, right? So, right. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with, with how much you're familiar with photo matching, but, you know, obviously it's sort of the individualization of the item to the unique traits um, that make identifying a game worn jersey possible right um now things from the 80s 70s 60s those get really hard to photo match so that may not be possible um but for me personally i think that you know in terms of my own collecting right because i i buy and i i love to collect um you know i i i am super into photo matched game worn stuff and you know mm -hmm. i think that uh 
for me, both on a personal level to display it, to store it, whatever. Um, that's kind of what what's really speaks to me. Um, but you know, I think like you know, it's 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 different for me, right? If I'm holding a card versus like I'm holding the actual relic from that moment. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of people in the space do feel that. You know, just like you said, it's like, would you rather have a Michael Jordan card, Gemmin, you know, rookie ten? You know, Gemmin, uh, Gemmin ten, um, you know, Fleer rookie, mm-hmm. or would you rather have, um, you know, Michael Jordan sneakers photo matched from, you know, one of his seasons? It's like, you know, it's a trade off. Um, different for everybody. For me, I'm going game one. So speaking of demographics, have you noticed? Okay, so we're going to use Demar Derozan as an example. Uh, he's here in Chicago, and uh, he is a massive, massive sneakerhead. Okay, well, you understand. I understand he's got a closet, like a big closet, like an MTV Cribs walk-in closet filled with Kobe's, right? Filled with Kobe sneakers. Um, and, and I don't know how much you can divulge, uh, but have you seen any other players or any other celeb types getting in on sneakers and sports memorabilia? Um, that's a really interesting question. The answer is yes. But just like you said, you know, I, I can't really divulge who they are or what they're doing. But yeah, I think that there are kind of a group of celebrities who definitely collect this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sort of notable personalities that, that find it really interesting and are, and are active participants in the market. Well, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to get you really drunk. And you're going to tell me each and every one of those celebrities and what they bought and how much they spent. <laughs> it won't be too hard for you. If you give me one drink, I'll be I'll be blabbing my mouth. <laughs> All right, so Sotheby's uh, right now, they're putting together this thing that uh, you guys are calling the collecting criteria. Um, break it down for me. That sounds, you, you kind of gave me a little sneak preview on it. Give me, go, go in depth. Take us inside baseball. Tell us what that is all about. Yeah, so, you know, we, we were sort of thinking about it. You know, we wanted to do some education right around what makes the sports memorabilia tick, at least in the game worn space. Um, and so with that, we sort of spent some time thinking about like, what are the criteria? And we actually spoke with collectors, right. About the things that they care about. It's like, what is the criteria, um, that makes game worn items, particularly special, notable, or have potential upside. Um, and so we identified five things that, by the way, you know, you can buy a great piece of game worn memorabilia that has none of these attributes, but, you know, typically when we're thinking about kind of like that, that you know, that hockey stick, you know, something that has some of these attributes or all five of them becomes really powerful. Um, and so those things are right. Sort of media coverage being the first one. So like mm-hmm. when was the shirt worn, how many eyeballs were on it or the sneakers worn, how many eyeballs were on it. Um, and like, you know, over time has the footage from that moment you know, is it regurgitated on social media to you every day, you know, mm-hmm. on your reels or do you continually see it sort of like, what are the, what are the total, total eyeballs that have been over time um, exposed to this moment? So that's the, the first thing that we look at. Um, the second one is sort of condition and heavy wear condition being a subset. So right with the Kobe Jersey that we have at Sotheby's right now, it's at five to 7 million. You know, it was worn over an eight-month period of time in his in Kobe's only MVP season for 25 games. Like that's an unbelievable amount of wear. 
no doubt. right? And so, you know, if you think about the amount of press coverage and moments that are with a single game, extrapolating that over 25 games is something, you know, sort of really exceptional, right? Um, the third one we identified was peak of powers. So, you know, if you think about Michael Jordan on the Wizards, right? Um, and I'm, I'm leaving out stuff like his final game and, and things like that, that obviously have huge potential upside. Mm-hmm. But if you think about, you know, his time on the Wizards versus the 98 Bulls, right? Or the 97 Bulls and 90, you know what I mean? Like the, the athlete's peak of powers is usually the most desired by the market. Obviously rookie stuff too, you know, beginning and end, but overall like peak of powers is the most desired thing. Um, the fourth one was, you know, the moment is everything. Um, and so what we mean by that is like, you could have a really valuable game worn item by an athlete that no one has ever heard of. If the moment is really, really spectacular and everyone remembers it, um, you know, I would argue, or you could have, by the way, that for an athlete that everyone knows, like, you know, a Derek Jeter world series shirt might be worth X. But that famous play where he dove into the stands, you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about, and hit his yep. head, like that jersey, everybody knows that jersey. And so in that sense, like the moment is everything. That might be worth more than a World Series shirt, right? Just because it's such an iconic moment for Jeter. Um, and then lastly is just scarcity, right? You know, there are certain um, game-worn uh, items or even athletes who have a ton of material in the market, right? Like there's stuff coming up all the time, all the time, all the time, because they're very, very meticulous about cataloging their game worn stuff about, you know, getting it out there into the world. And like, you know, there's just this huge market. And then there are other athletes like, you know, Tom Brady, right. Who keeps his game worn jerseys. You never see them. There's not that many of them. Right. And so, you know, when that comes into play, you get to a certain level of scarcity and that scarcity drives the market. And so we sort of identified these five criteria and are planning to do some sort of education around it over the next, you know, six to eight weeks. That's so important, uh, educating potential buyers, especially if they are going to be spending uh, a little more than they normally would be getting outside of their comfort zone. Uh, something like this, I mean, you can almost call the manifesto. Something like this is is going to make people um, just feel safer about the whole thing. Uh, RE condition. Okay. I am the kind of guy who would rather see my my dream Walter Payton jersey. I want to see it with like a little grass stain and a little tear in it. I want the game worn to be game worn. Generally speaking, uh, do people want to see the the marks and bumps and bruises on a piece of memorabilia or do they want pristine? With game worn, we actually consider condition very different. So, like, we're selling a Derek Cheater bat in our Zenith Part 2 sale uh, that's coming up in early February. It's broken in half. We've mm-hmm. cataloged that as in great condition. Why? Because that's exactly how Derek Cheater left it. You know what I mean? If he broke his bat and you're selling that bat in its broken condition, actually, the condition of the item is good. You know, if somebody broke the bat after, then the condition is poor. So, well, we basically our criteria for game worn and condition is, is it in the condition that the athlete used it? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, that also is true of a Connor McDavid stick that we have, right, where, you know, it's cracked through. Um, but Connor McDavid is the one that cracked it, you know, so it's like if it's if it's done by the athlete, um, that is considered part of the wear and the allure of the item. Um, I think people want that. I think people want to see that this has been really used. 
Um, and we've seen time and time again when heavily worn, beaten up, game-worn stuff comes to market, that actually, especially in jerseys, that's what really attracts and excites people. It, I know it attracts and excites me. What is the gnarliest piece of game-worn stuff that you guys have ever had uh, go out the door? I'll tell you, cra- the craziest thing is Giannis's game-worn jerseys. Some of those things, they reek. Like, <laughs> You 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 get that jersey. You take it out of the, the like. Let's say it's in like a dry cleaning bag or something like that. <laughs> you take that thing out. It's like you know somebody might pass out on the team. It's like the, the smelliest, grossest thing ever. But you know, the honest market is uh, is a rocket ship, so it's all good. Um, all right. This is like getting really picky in here, but I'm legit curious. If this stinky Giannis jersey comes into the room, right, and you open it, and it's disgusting. You guys don't take it to the dry cleaner, right? When you get when you buy that jersey for your million dollars, you're getting Giannis's old sweat on there too, right? Oh yeah, we're not we're not removing anything. <laughs> you know when we handled Michael Jordan's shattered backboard jersey. I don't know if you're familiar with the with the Migray group. You know, I, I oh uh, very much so. Yeah, they're so great I, people. Yeah, so I, I basically, we got his shattered backboard jersey. I had the jersey shipped over to the migrate group to look at it. And I called Barry Mizell and I said, well, what do you guys think? And he's like, well, you know, we're still looking at the photo match. We're trying to figure it out. And then he was like, Brom, I got to tell you something, though. And it was like almost like he was in the corner of the office. You know, he was like whispering to me. He's like, there are sweat stains all over it. You know, like there's <laughs> like there's these thick layer of sweat. I was like, oh, it's gross. But they were they were so excited. Like it had this like gross, disgusting, huge layer of, of sweat there. Love it. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what it is. I mean, it's a game worn item, you know, and you can imagine if Michael Jordan was playing that hard. He was sweating a lot. And we don't watch them to answer your question. Yeah, <laughs> I would love me some Michael Jordan sweat in my collection. Uh, to that end, uh, I had a uh, acquaintance who uh, uh, they curate um, the world's greatest unquestionably memorabilia collection of soccer, of, of European soccer, world soccer, actually. And they have it in a Costco sized warehouse in a location I'm not allowed to disclose. And their biggest expense in storing this stuff is deodorizing the entire Costco-sized warehouse <laughs> because they get this stuff fresh off of the pitch, the shoes, the jer- everything, and it smells like the biggest locker room ever. Um, all right, Brom, what is uh, your dream piece of memorabilia, uh, either as a collector or as an auction dude? The flu game. I mean, mm. we actually have the armband for the flu game at Sotheby's right now. But- mm. Um, the jersey, like I, I don't even know what that's worth. The, the jersey from the flu game could legitimately be worth like fifty million dollars. I think like the the recognizability of that moment um, yeah. within the collecting community and also the broader public, yeah. especially like given the last dance and kind of the incredibleness of that story. For me as a collector, that's the thing I'd want to own, and also as an auctioneer, the thing I'd want to sell. I just have no idea where it is. If you know, if anyone wants to call in. Yeah, if anyone does know, give a collect this at csgcards.com. Hit us up. Um, and speaking of sweat, like Michael Jordan, the, that one picture, the infamous picture, famous picture of um, Scottie Pippen kind of guiding him off the court and Michael's got his head on his shoulder. The amount of sweat that is coming off of Michael's forehead, possibly with food poisoning goop in it, possibly with, with actual flu goop in it, that is an unbelievable piece to anybody's collection. <laughs> 
Yeah, that would be that's the dream. That's the grail. Um, and it's out there somewhere. I don't know that it's attributed. My guess is there's a, somebody has a game worn jersey in their house potentially, and they just don't even know. Before I let you go, um, and this is great stuff, really enjoyable. I learned a lot. I would love your hobby prediction, something bold, something original, something daring, something when it comes to pass at the end of 2023, I can email you and be like, Brahm, you nailed it. I think it's possible what could be wrong. I think it's possible that, you know, by, by the end of 2023, whether it's with me or another auction house, right. Who gets a, an amazing Mickey Mantle or something like that. I don't think it's inconceivable that we could see a sports memorabilia sale above 20 million. $20 million. Uh, I know I'm going to be sending that email and I know I'm going to be thanking you for that amazing prediction. And I can post it on the square and say he was 200% right. Brom Walker, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a crazy busy man. Uh, get back to auctioning off the coolest of the cool. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Whether it's a 1986 Michael Jordan Fleer rookie card, a Tom Brady Playoff Contenders rookie card from 2000, or, I don't know, a Marv Throneberry card that came out of a post cereal box in 1963, and yes, that's a thing, Certified Sports Guarantee will grade your sports cards quickly and accurately. A subsidiary of Certified Collectibles Group, CSG graded over 1 million cards in its first year plus on the sports collecting scene, the fastest any grading company has hit that mark. The speedy turnaround times provided by the knowledgeable, passionate team of expert sports car graders will make your CSG experience smooth, efficient, and most importantly, fair. Regardless of the athlete, the sport, or the condition of your card, CSG will treat it with the love and respect it deserves. For more information about CSG, visit csgcards.com. That's CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. And we don't stop. We hope you enjoyed Collect This, powered by CSG. Collect This was hosted, written, produced, engineered, and scored by Alan Goldshire. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at collectthis at csgcards.com. This has been a presentation of the Collects Podcast Network.